whether you're running a business or running a business school or running a football team or a family, you know, having everybody working the, uh, the same direction with the same mission and the same goal and the same playbook is, is just uh, critically important. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam M. Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. I have with me today, George Gleason, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Bank OZK. He has been uh, the company chairman, CEO, and or president since 1979. And in February, he's been inducted into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame. Thank you so much, uh, George, for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be with you. You so much deserve, in my opinion, to be inducted into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame. What you have accomplished with Bank OZK is quite remarkable, especially when you think of where you came from. I, I'm wondering, George, you know, at a young age, you were working on a farm. You grew up on a farm in Dardanelle, Arkansas. And at uh, the age of seven, you started earning money, filling up water troughs for farm animals. And then um, by the age of 10, you were uh, working long days as a farm laborer. Do you think that that kind of work helped your work ethic and your perspective on the world? Absolutely. You know, I had two depression era parents. My father was a uh, graduate of the University of Arkansas in 1933. And uh, so his last year of high school was 1929, the you know advent year of the Great Depression. And my mother was a graduate of Hendricks College a year or two later in the mid mid-30s. So uh, they grew up in the depression when uh, you know almost everybody had nothing and hard work uh, was just essential to getting by and and surviving and having enough to eat from my earliest years as a kid and and the same was true for my three older sisters uh working hard was just expected and just part of it and and amazingly none of us kids uh, resisted that we embraced that and uh, my father and uh, mother were serial entrepreneurs. They were very thrifty, very hardworking, and uh, had a number of very small but successful businesses. And as a kid, uh, I had the privilege of working in all of those businesses. And as you mentioned, at, at age seven, I, I made a quarter a day after school in first grade going out to fill up all the uh, water trials for all the cattle around the main barn there. By the time I was uh, 12, my dad was taking me to his office at night, teaching me how to keep the books for the various companies. So I began to learn bookkeeping at uh, 12, somewhere probably around age 14. I started uh, working on uh, all the little different business tax returns that my dad had filed. By the time I was 16, I was becoming sort of proactive and went to my parents and 
told them that if they didn't take steps to uh, plan for their estate, they were going to have a significant estate tax burden. And my dad, in true form of wanting to uh, use every uh, experience as a child to educate me, said, you study uh, what we should do, come up with a plan and present it to me, uh, which I did. And then he said, you go sit down with the family lawyer and uh, tell your plan to the lawyer. And if he agrees, then we'll go forward on it. So at you know 16, I had the rarefied uh, task of helping uh, plan my uh, parents' estate. So uh, my father and mother, uh, who was equally involved in businesses with my father, and in some respects, an even more potent force in the family businesses than my father, uh, they were both very intent on uh, teaching me as a child uh, all sorts of experiences. So I, I grew up in a very adult sort of setting. George, I'd like to skip ahead a little bit and talk a little bit about Banco ZK. And I'll come, I would like to come back to a few other things about your growing up years. But I, I certainly would imagine all of that learning about bookkeeping and preparing tax returns and then the estate planning really prepared you for thinking about business in a broad sense. But at the age of 25, you purchased a controlling interest in Bank of Ozark in Ozark, Arkansas in 1979 with a $10,000 down payment and a $3.6 million loan. Now, I know at that point you had already been practicing law at the Rose Law Firm. Would you talk a little bit about how your experience at the Rose Law Firm may have led you to make this purchase or helped you make this purchase? Yes, well, I'm happy to do that. I would also tell you at the, at the outset that purchasing controlling interest in a bank with a large amount of borrowed money at 25 is probably not the wisest <laughs> strategy. It, it worked well for me, um, but uh, I tell people all the time that uh, if I had been 28 instead of 25, I would have been mature enough to know it was crazy. If if I had been married instead of single, I would have had a wife that said, honey, that you've lost your mind. Don't do that. And if I'd been female instead of male, I just would have had the innate good sense to realize that uh, that, that was a crazy thing to do. But, you know, a single 25-year-old male, it seemed like a reasonable thing to uh, to try to do. So, fortunately, it worked out. But the the key to that working out for me was, was the background that I had. And uh, that included having the work ethic that my parents had instilled in me and having worked in all of those different family businesses. I, I knew something about the poultry business. I knew something about the cattle business. I knew something about uh, the grocery business and the hardware and dry goods business because I'd worked in all those uh, businesses that my parents had and uh, had done the books on those businesses. So that was great preparation. And then I went to uh, Hendricks College and, and got a uh, very heavy dose of accounting and economics. I took every accounting and economics course they had and also went to uh, Arkansas Tech University 
the summer right after my high school career and picked up a couple of accounting courses and a couple of econ courses and then went to uh, Oklahoma State University between my first and second year of college and picked up uh, uh, some accounting and finance courses there. So, and, and I graduated from Hendricks in two years. Um, so I was, 25 was a little uh, more advanced for me than most kids who are 25 because most kids spend four years going to uh, college and I did it in, uh, in, in two years. And then I had a law degree from uh, the University of Arkansas there in Fayetteville uh, which was uh, was great experience and then worked at the Rose Farm. So I had uh, accounting background an economic background, a, a law background and practice uh, in a commercial space in, in the uh, legal practice of the Rose Farm for about a year and a half before I bought the bank. So I was unusually uh, well equipped having really started in my family's businesses at a very early age. Uh, to to step in to a role as uh, chairman CEO of a small bank, and and the uh, reality of that Matt is being the chairman CEO of a small bank is a bit of a business laboratory anyway because you're in a community, your bank is the economic lifeblood of that community, you you have in a small town interaction with all the business people in that community, so it's. Uh, an opportunity to learn everything on a relatively small scale before your career and your company advances to be a major player on the national or world stage. You also took on 28 employees, two locations. That's a lot of responsibility all of a sudden. I I know you had been working um, growing up in your parents' small businesses, but jumping to 28 employees that that's a big jump was the transition difficult or do you feel like you were really prepared for that well i i I probably wasn't as well prepared for it as uh uh, i should have been but uh you know it's it's a product of being 25 years old and and uh, doing that job uh and it's it's interesting the things that you learn serendipitously early in your career. I arrived that morning after closing the transaction late night the night before I arrived at the bank and I'd called a meeting uh, for my new staff at 730 to introduce myself and meet them and and uh, I gave them a uh, a little speech and as part of that speech, I said, we will probably never be the largest bank in Arkansas, but if we all work hard and we strive for excellence in everything we do, and that striving for excellence has been a uh, hallmark of our company for my 42 year career. And that working hard has been a hallmark of the company for that 42 year career. Uh, I challenged them that we could become the best bank in Arkansas and that quality was more important than quantity. Another really interesting thing that's just been a core uh, tenet of our company happened uh, about 30 minutes after I finished that speech. I I went to my office and uh, was thinking, gosh, I wonder what the chairman CEO of a bank does at 830 in the morning. I really didn't know what to do next. So I was sitting in my office sort of playing with the uh, paper clips and my 
little paperclip tray there and thinking, what, what should I do next? And several officers appeared outside of my office and uh, two men and a woman and I uh, went to my office door and invited the lady in and said, ladies first, come on in. And uh, she sat down. I said, uh, what, what's uh, on your mind? And she said, well, we've got this opportunity and I want to talk to you about it and explain it to you. And I want you to tell me what you want me to do, how you want me to handle this. Uh, I listened to her for a minute and I said, well, OK, I'll do that. I will tell you what I want you to do. But before I do that, I want you to tell me what you think the answer to your question is. And I want you to explain to me why you think that's the right answer. Uh, I, of course, realized that she knew a lot more about banking than I did, and, and I was very interested in, in her thoughts and opinions. So she uh, recoiled at that because the fellow who I bought the bank from was, was a much older gentleman, and he was a very experienced, knowledgeable businessman. So he, he knew all the answers. So the staff was just accustomed to asking Carl the questions and Carl giving them the answers. And uh, this very collaborative sort of approach was new to her. But she thought for a minute and she said, well, here's what I think we ought to do. And here's why I think that's what we ought to do. And I asked her several questions. We agreed upon a plan of action and she left. And the, the next guy came in and he said, we've got this problem and I need you to tell me how to handle it. And I thought, well, you worked well once. Why don't I just try that again? And uh, I did that all morning long with everyone that came into my office. Explain to me what you think the right answer to your question is and, and tell me why you think that's the best solution we can come up with. And uh, I realized at lunch that purely by accident, I'd stumbled on to the reality that if we harnessed the good ideas and the, uh, the aptitude, the wisdom, the experience of every single employee in the company, and we made the decisions not based on what one man at the top thought, but what really was a accumulation of wisdom and attitude from the staff that we could make some really good decisions and do some very powerful things. And I tell my managers every day that some person on your team knows something about our business, our customers, our properties, um, uh, whatever that nobody else on your team knows, even the newest members of your team uh, who may be first time employees uh, just starting their career have some sort of knowledge or information that if you can ferret it out and harness that and and weave that into the collective tapestry of thinking of our company will be a better company for it. Well, you know, that story, uh, the fact that you figured that out at such a young age, 25, is quite remarkable. But it also struck me, I, I think a lot about leadership. I know that uh, building trust is really important and for a leader to be successful. And, you know, a lot of the research says there's three key things to build trust. One is you've got to be confident. People want to know that you know what you're doing. Two, the person has to know that you have their best interest in mind. And three, they've got to be confident that you really are interested in them. And I think that in some ways you're questioning 
them early on what solution do you have really draws all those out in a person because it's it shows very clearly that you do care about them you're interested in them um, they're important but the other thing i thought of that's on the one hand so it builds trust the other thing it does is sometimes when we we might know it the answer to a question but actually articulating it to someone else helps us think it through more clearly and start forming a, a mental model of whatever it is we're, we're talking about. Um, but also, the other thing I think that it probably does, one challenge for all leaders is gaining alignment amongst people, getting people going in the same direction. This certainly uh, does that. And I think, I think a lot of people know that that's a good idea, but a lot of people in practice don't do it. Because there's a temptation to take a shortcut and just give the answer. Uh, that's I think you're right. And uh, um, clearly having the entire team on the same page is is just essential. And that, you know, whether you're running a business or running a business school or running a football team or a family. You know, having everybody working the uh, the same direction with the same mission and the same goal and the same playbook is is just uh, critically important. And as a company grows and as a company evolves, it gets harder and harder to do that. And uh, for example, in our company from 2010 through 2016, we made 15 acquisitions, uh, seven failed banks that we acquired from the FDIC, and then eight more traditional M&A transactions that followed that. Several of banks that were stressed from the Great Recession and, and uh, continued to have lingering problems and several very healthy banks. So we had this uh, uh, mixture of different cultures and experiences in the company and it was not harmonizing to a great consistent experience in the way we performed operations and and uh, uh, dealt with our customers on the retail side of our company so i challenged uh, our team to fix that and and i took a leadership role in that and saying I was going to visit with every office and talk with every employee in the company. So over an 11 month period of time, uh, I visited every one of our almost 260 offices at the time. I spoke for about five minutes thanking and recognizing each office on, on some particular thing they had uh, excelled in and accomplished really well. Of course, we had all the metrics on all the performance uh, of all the offices. And then I, I told them, I said, I'm here really to listen to you. And I want to ask you two questions. What are we doing or not doing that is impeding, impairing your ability to deliver an extraordinary experience every day to every customer? And what are we doing or not doing that is making your job more difficult? Uh, less enjoyable, less fun than it otherwise has to be. And I said, be honest, don't worry about hurting my feelings. I'm here to understand the truth and hear the truth. And if we're doing stuff wrong, I want to know about it. 
So 11 months later, I had uh, a list, the team and I who were doing this had a list of over 1300 recommended enhancements to the way we did business and uh, a daunting list. And uh, by the time we visited the 260th office, we had already implemented probably six or 700 of those changes throughout the company and have continued to work on the list in the uh, ensuing years and have probably made well over a thousand, maybe as many as 1100 of those enhancements throughout the, uh, the company. The other things are things that require major core system reprogramming and are fairly uh, heavy lift things to implement, but a lot of those things are on the uh, list for the future. The result of all that has been we've achieved, to your point, uh, great alignment and consistency in our operations, which has massively improved the um, experience for our customers and also given our employees uh, a clear career path, an opportunity path, and a consistent level of training experience and, and uh, policies and procedures. It was a, a major undertaking. Uh, in 2019, I was in 173 cities and nine countries on business and on the road 153 days. Uh, and the biggest part of that was this, what we referred to as back to the future tour. We had to go back to the roots of our company, to our branches and our employees in order to design the future of our company. And that was a transformational thing. You know, we built a great company and we were among the most profitable banks in the United States. But the, uh, the goal was to figure out how to be the next great company. That what we had done up to that point was, was wonderful, but we were just, we felt like we were just getting started and we wanted to know how to build a great company. I love that story. I mean, <clears throat> you know, that, that idea of going out to everybody and getting input, just the act of that. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a phrase procedural justice that's used in business, not in the legal sense, um, but in the, in the business sense, meaning that procedural justice means that by the process of doing something, people feel that it's fair. And it turns out there's a lot of research that shows that when you involve other people in a transformation like you're talking about, really getting their voice, even if you do the opposite of what they're saying, they feel it was a more fair process. Um, but in your case, where you implemented all of these, a bunch of these ideas to create the, the um, next iteration of your company um that's very powerful um it, it we we're talking about earlier about uh, getting people aligned and how you're you're getting uh, your employees to give you the answer does help get alignment uh, for sure but this sort of a thing also um generates a lot of motivation in people because they start feeling like they're owners they're, 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 they they they're really this is a part of who they are as well 
Well, you're you're exactly right, and that was that was a huge upside um, to it. Allow our team to understand that they were valued. It, it was important to senior management to come out and see them and hear what they had to say and their opinions uh, were valued. So yes, you're 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 right. You know, sometimes when you lead a company, you uh, have to lead from the front. And that's the way most people think about leading. You're the guy out front and you're leading the charge and you're the foremost uh, person exerting energy and effort and aptitude on, on everything. But sometimes uh, you can actually get more energy by leading alongside. Uh, I, I realized that after about 10 meetings, I was first astounded at how much uh, uh, constructive comment and criticism we were getting. And, and then I realized that uh, if, if I would take a, a role shoulder to shoulder side by side with these team members, that they were going to take us to a higher level of, of performance. So I started telling everybody when I would walk in and the manager would introduce me, this is Mr. Gleason. I said, this is not Mr. Gleason anymore. We're all teammates, we're all in this together. I'm George, you're Susie, you're Bob, whatever. And uh, so I had all of our team members throughout the company began to call me George instead of Mr. Gleason. And, uh, you know, it, it created that extra level of, of uh, buy-in, an extra level of camaraderie, and we really are in this together, and it, it, it leveled the playing field so that the quality of input, openness, greatly improved. And, you know, I've also learned over the years, and particularly now as, as I'm trying to advance more and more team members to higher levels so that when I retire in 15 or 20 or 30 years, there's going to be leadership in this uh, company to carry on that sometimes you have to lead from the rear and you have to put people on the point and uh, help those guys make great decisions and and be there to back them up if they need backup and give them a little coaching if they need coaching but you have to lead from the rear so it's it's the hardest to uh, to do uh, but it's most important. Well, you've you've taken Banco ZK um, to uh, an incredible level, um, market cap of almost uh, six billion, um, over two hundred and fifty offices. Um, you're in Arkansas, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, Texas, South Carolina, California, New York, and Mississippi. <laughs> you. Uh, I may have missed one. I hope I didn't, but uh, um, you've, you've really taken this company to an amazing level. And um, I would like to know, I know you've done some very, so we're, we've been talking a lot about leadership. I'd like to move to strategy a little bit. And I know you had a particular strategy that really drove a lot of your growth. Would you mind speaking to that a little bit? Well, we've, we've had different strategies in different areas of the company, but what has really put uh, Banco ZK on, on a national map as a, as a national leader is the uh, expertise 
that we built in construction and development lending. So you mentioned all the uh, places we have offices, but um, you know, uh, from time to time, year to year, we're the largest construction development lender in New York, Miami, Los Angeles. Uh, you know, a few years ago, the uh, the top ten real estate projects done in Los Angeles, we had the the first, third, uh, fifth, seventh, and eighth largest projects in Los Angeles. So we were we were just a dominant player in the market that year, and we've so, been there in like Phoenix and all over the country. You know, our business is truly national. And and we're at the top of that uh, business, uh, whether you're in New York or Miami or L.A. or Phoenix or Chicago or Seattle year to year. We're not there every year, but uh, in all those cities, we've been number one in one year or another. So this is really good for the listeners to, to think about a minute. We have a company that started with the acquisition of Bank of Ozark in 1979 by a 25-year-old Arkansan who grew up on a farm. And now, um, when it comes to, um, you know, construction and development lending, they are incredible. They're in many more places than I listed uh, in terms of offices. And and as, uh, as George said, you know, they're the largest construction development lender in New York, Miami, Los Angeles, depending on the year. They've been on top of the same, the construction and development lending in Los Angeles. They've uh, been first, third, fifth, seventh, eighth, uh, largest project in Los Angeles. Um, and, and this is a company that's in Arkansas. Uh, we have other Ar- Arkansas-based companies that have done amazing things as well. But um, I feel like a lot of times students in particular aren't as aware of this accomplishment. So that's why I wanted to pause and, and highlight uh, what you were saying. It's it's quite remarkable what you've accomplished there. You know, um, we are Kansas sometimes, I think, tend to um, have a bit of an inferiority complex that is unjustified. And um, uh, you know, if you look at Arkansas companies, and Arkansas is a small state, I give you that, but there's there's nothing deficient about the aptitude, the intellect, and the capabilities of our our people here. You you have uh, a company that has been at times the largest retailer in the world in Walmart. You have a company that has been the largest protein producer in the world in Tyson's. You have one of the most innovative and uh, um, transportation and logistics companies in the in JB Hunt. And you know, you could go down the line at other companies, list other companies that are regional or national leaders in Arkansas. And we've managed to carve out that national space in construction and development lending by building expertise that allows us to be the lender of choice on the most complex and biggest construction and development projects in the company. The bigger the project is and the more complicated it is, the more likely we're going to be the bank of choice or the lender of choice for that project 
because we built expertise. So as your students are, are thinking about my story and our company's story, hard work, uh, a focus on education, putting all the tools in your toolbox from an educational and experiential uh, ability, those have been key. And then just setting your goals on being, being the smartest, being the most focused on excellence, uh, your your aptitude, your energy, your ability are going to determine your limitations. It, it doesn't matter uh, whether you're based in New York or Los Angeles or, or Little Rock or Dallas. What ultimately is going to determine your limitations is your work ethic and your aptitude and your ability and your willingness to to put in the hours and and uh, make the priority choices about what you want to do with your life. So your your students who are listening to this and I'm so thankful that we have such a great business school in Arkansas as we have in uh, Fayetteville. So thank you for that. But everything that your students need to be great is in that school and is within them. Well, George, um, thank you for taking time to visit with me today about this. I think the students will learn a lot from um, this interview, so uh, we really appreciate you and we're proud of you uh, for what you've accomplished. And, and once again, congratulations on being uh, inducted into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame in February. Well, thank you, Matt, and uh, thank you for what you guys are doing. You know, we are employing uh, uh, high caliber people all the time, and we're so thankful for the work that uh, you and the rest of the team at the university are doing, producing the team members who are going to lead our company to a higher and higher level in the uh, years and decades to come. So thank you. It's great to be with you today. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C.